All right, four, three, two, one, let's go. This is the Pick 4 Podcast. You have found us yet again. Uh, you can always go to pick4podcast.com. Find our social media outlets. Email me. Find the show catalog. Uh, history of guests, of recurring guests. Um, and we are now part of Let Me Know Productions. To coming up, okay. So April, if you didn't know, is Autism Awareness Month, and April second specifically is World Autism Awareness Day. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna get educated about autism today, somewhat best we can. So Jeremy, longtime friend, is back again today. He is a CFO, COO, co-owner of Caprock Behavioral Solutions um, and Lubbock Autism Academy. And he has brought along his marketing director, Josh Terry. So, guys, thanks for coming today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Uh, I don't even, like, have a good place to begin here. Um, <laughs> I've known... Now I realize I've known several people through the course of my life that have autism. Uh, statistically speaking, you know probably more than just a few. I pr- that's probably true, yeah. But I, I may not even know that I... Correct. Yeah. I may not know that they know. Yeah. Um, all we're trying to do today is raise a little awareness. Through the course of my life, having realized that I've known a handful of people that that um, have autism and cope with it to the best of their abilities. I just want to give these guys a chance to kind of share and spread the word about what it is, about uh, how to identify it, about how to get some help when you need some help, if you or somebody you love need some help. So today we are going to pick four things that uh, Jeremy and Josh... Want to tell us about autism? What do you got first? Uh, well, let's go ahead and talk about the prevalence of autism first. Well, uh, let, how about we do this? Tell me what it is. Let's, autism. Let's go to the core here. Okay. Well, autism is actually not a mental health disorder. That's what a lot of people assume to seem what it means is it's a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. It is not. Okay. It is a neurological disorder. Okay. okay. So physiologically speaking, uh, the synapses in your brain and the neurons in your brain don't match up with what a typical developing brain would match up to. Okay. Okay. So that uh, creates a primary effect of a developmental delay. Okay. And those development developmental delays are usually seen in behavioral, social, uh, communication types of development. Okay. Most often. Uh, those are usually your three big ones. Um, there are other symptoms of autism, uh, that span hundreds of different ideas and uh, different, uh, categories and observable behaviors and, and symptoms. Uh, but those tend to be three of the most common. Is there a, like an agreed upon set of signs or set of symptoms that, categorize autism actually no uh when when a child is diagnosed with autism uh there is a battery of assessments that are done and the scores on the assessments create a range of score 
And that range of score determines whether or not a child is on the spectrum of autism. And it's the, the full name is actually autism spectrum disorder. Uh, in the past, you know, we heard, you know, well, he has Asperger's, he has this, he has, and it's all now one thing. It's all autism spectrum disorder. Okay. And then we classify it as severe, moderate, mild. Is there one sort of standardized test then? Um, yes and no. Um, some of the tests are more geared towards younger children. And then there's a, a separate test that is more geared towards older children, teenage aged children that may not have shown deficits until they are teenagers, um, especially with things like social interactions mm-hmm. um, that may have been overlooked for a long period of time. And then high school, junior high comes around and all of a sudden there's some very big social deficits that are, that are noticed and observed. So there's tests that can be administered um, at different ages because they're more appropriate for different ages. Uh, also there's a couple of different tests that have slightly different, uh, scales and so forth that you can follow. So it's really the preference of whoever's providing the, or whoever's giving the assessment. Pretty liquid and organic. Still pretty liquid and organic. And, uh, there's a lot of, there can be some regionality with that as well. Uh, some, you know, New England has kind of their own set of stuff that they use because they have the new England center for Ch- uh, center for children up there that has a big autism clinic, um, in the, uh, Southeast around Atlanta, uh, Emory university has a huge autism center, uh, the Marcus center. Uh, they have, they kind of have their sphere of influence. Um, we, we do kind of fall under the new England side of things to an extent. We, uh, a lot of the stuff that we, or at least Dana initially started off with was under the kind of guidance of a, uh, Dr. Carbone, who's a big, big guy in, uh, the, uh, ABA therapy world. Mm-hmm. So we, we got a lot of stuff initially from him. Uh, we also follow a lot of Midwest stuff. There's a couple of Midwest organizations that we follow pretty closely and, uh, a couple of places here in Texas that we follow pretty closely. What are some of the more easily identifiable signs and symptoms? Nonverbal communication is probably the first one that everyone uh, picks up. Uh, it's one of the easiest ones to pick up. You know, children will start to babble uh, around three months or so. Uh, lack of babbling is usually a, is one of the is one of the early indicators. Just refusing to speak at all. You know, two three years old and hasn't uttered a word yet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a pretty big indicator. Eye contact is a big indicator. Um, in fact, there was a, a professor at Texas Tech that was working on an assessment based on uh, infants being able to maintain specific eye contact on objects and on people. This is still pretty new in the world of. Well, it depends on your perspective of things. Or, or behavioral um, analysis. Historically, yeah. Historically, autism has been recognized as something different since 1799. Uh, There's literary evidence of autism without it being called autism. Um, Really, for autism to take off, you got to go to 1944. Uh, I cannot remember the doctor's name off the top of my head, but he's the first one that really defined autism in its very first definition. Mm -hmm. And through from that period on, through education, research, testing, and so forth like that, the the spectrum of autism has expanded significantly. Okay. Are there 
agreed upon causes yet? No. Um, what are some some? We'll call them influences then. Uh, age of parents, advanced age of parenting, it seems to be a correlation, not a cause. Okay. Lack of folic acid in the mother's diet during pregnancy seems to be a correlation, but not a cause. Um, there do seem to be some genetic indicators, but there are also some environmental indicators as well. There is not a smoking gun, period, when it comes to this causes autism. Uh, even in our clinic and, and clinics that we've been around and, and, and who we talk to, we know of twins that have autism and twins that do that, that where one twin has autism and the other one does not. Wow. Uh, we have several instances and know several instances where uh, siblings, one will have pretty severe autism and none of the other siblings do. Will you go ahead and tell us what definitely is not a cause of autism? Uh, vaccines. All right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that on the misinformation on the bonus side. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll tackle that in depth as we sort of get there. So if autism is, is I'm sorry, if April is, is Autism Awareness Month, how did that come about? The Really, the big need came about is because autism was so narrowly defined for so long and get to get doctors and the general public to understand what autism was autism speaks and a couple of other organizations developed a need or de decided that there was a need to bring more awareness towards autism. Um, and really it's just, it's a marketing thing. Um, because once autism started to be understood more globally, the only people that really understood autism were the people that were treating autism diagnosing autism and the parents and individuals that have autism. Yeah. And so there's a lot of stigma, uh, a lot of, uh, discrimination and a lot of, uh, misunderstanding that was happening with the autism community and the general public that needed to be addressed. And so April was designated as autism awareness month because they all start with a, how long ago was that? Oh, man, it's been 15, 20 years. Oh, I didn't realize it was that had been prevalent that long. Yes. Okay, um, uh, before I sort of just turn the, the, the whole program over to you, <laughs> I'm going to read uh, an email uh, from an adult friend I have um, who was diagnosed late in life. Common. Um, it reads as follows. Finding out you have autism as an adult is kind of uh, a, a mind-bending proposition. I knew I was different, sort of, but I didn't know I was different. Autism with ADHD is a trip. Because I was diagnosed with both relatively late, I've had half a lifetime to create coping mechanisms. Routine is important, though I'm better at going with the flow when it doesn't involve being late or structured activities. Planned spontaneity is a real thing, right? I have multiple note and task apps and still feel like I'm drowning in things I swear I've forgotten I need to do. While lists and structure help, I get overwhelmed very easily. There are very few people on this earth who have seen me in a full meltdown, and that's because I expend a ton of energy maintaining the task I present to the, the mask I present to the world. Also, functioning labels are utter tripe. 
Most people assume I'm high-functioning because I have multiple degrees, I'm married, and I teach at the university level. They don't see the breakdowns, meltdowns, depression, anxiety, and STEMs going on behind the scenes. Functioning labels are how others experience my autism, not how I experience it. Very well said. Uh, yep, I think pretty highly of that person. Um, she asked me to keep her anonymous, so we will. I appreciate that input. Give me then uh, one of your, uh, your highlights here. Well, I want to start off with prevalence um, because that seems to be one of the major questions I get all the time when I'm out in the community. I I do some uh, trainings with some uh, organizations here in town, uh, specifically about autism awareness. And one of the biggest questions I get is, how come autism is blown up? You know, so let's just talk about prevalence real quick. Um, According to Autism Speaks, one in 54 children have autism. Okay, but we can break that down even further. One in 34 boys and one in 144 girls are diagnosed with autism. Wow, that's uh, pretty lopsided. It is lopsided. And, and there are some societal or cultural issues that may be playing into that here in the United States where it's more acceptable for a uh, boy to be standoffish for a longer period of time. Okay. Because, you know, he's just a stoic young man. Yeah. You know, he's an old soul. You know, these, <laughs> you know, where a, where a female is generally more engaged earlier as, a, as an infant and taught to be more social. So there probably is a much higher percentage of girls that have autism. But because they were intervened earlier enough, and this is just speculation, I'm not, there's no studies behind this, this is just a cultural assumption, Mm -hmm. that there may be more females that have autism closer to the range of boys, but because there's such an emphasis for girls to be more social, that may be actually trained out, uh, some of the symptoms that you would see, especially with milder cases of autism, may not be as apparent. Okay. Are those numbers U.S. based or is that world? That's U.S. based. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I was going to ask a follow up question, but I don't think that was going to work. Um, go ahead and uh, what do you got next? Let's move. Let's move on. Okay. Well, so let's look at Lubbock County. Okay. Okay. Based on the 2019 U.S. Census data sheet for Lubbock County. Okay, mm-hmm. there were 73,707 73, children under the age of 18. Okay. Okay. If you take the 1 in 54 children as statistical correct, mm-hmm. that means there are 1,365 children with autism spectrum disorder in Lubbock County. Okay. Okay. That would mean 1,068 boys and 259 girls that have autism spectrum disorder yeah. according to if you hold the to sti- the number if yeah. you hold to the statistics that autism speaks has on their website okay so 1365 kiddos with autism okay the thing that i get asked the most is that you know it just seems like everybody has a special need that is not accurate okay the Percentage of individuals with special needs in the United States has remained static around 20% since the 1950s. Okay. So one in five individuals in the United States has a special need of some sort. Yeah. Okay. 
that has not changed since the 1950s at all. So it's gone to 21, 22, down as low as 17, but it hovers around 20%. Yeah. Okay. So you've got a little bit of a bend on both sides. Okay. But it really hasn't deviated very much from that 20%. What has happened over time though, as I spoke to about earlier, as we have been researching autism and have a better understanding of what autism is, the diagnosis of autism has gone up but it has basically replaced another diagnosis that used to be a catch-all for many yeah, developmental something disabilities. Something that just got lumped in with something else. Exactly. And most of that, if you look it. at the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, the most common developmental disorder was intellectual disability or mental retardation. We don't say that word anymore because it's derogatory, yeah. but that's what most people would know that as. It would be ID or intellectual disability. Okay. Okay. That is not accurate. Uh, while there may be individuals with autism that may also be intellectually disabled with an IQ of less than 75, it's at the same rate as the general population. The rate of individuals with a normal intelligence with autism is at the same rate as the general population. The individuals with superior intellect, over 120, I believe, is the score, is at the same rate as the general population. Hmm. So intellectual ability has nothing to do with autism. Yeah, it's just the the trouble maybe expressing that you know those things. Exactly. Okay. That could be one of the issues, yes. Okay. Okay. So where everything was lumped under ID for a very, very long time, because the amount of people that had intellectual disability in the 1980s in that percentage was huge, mm-hmm. it has now transferred over to primarily autism because autism is not an intellectual disability. It's a neurological disability that deals with development. So that rate has not changed at all. What has been diagnosed as far as the special needs community has changed and it should have changed because we were basically just saying that all these individuals had an IQ and had an intelligence that was far less than what they really had. That is that is incorrect. What we found out is that most of these individuals, as you said, could not communicate their intelligence in a normal fashion. Yeah. But once we gave them tools, or once they were given tools to communicate, they could communicate their intelligence. Okay, so then let's ask the big question. If we, we have somebody, a, a parent or a guardian who suspects that they may have a child that, that has autism, like what, what's step one? First step is you need to talk to your pediatrician. I mean, that is step number one. Um, and we'll, I do have a whole idea, a whole section here as far as getting help. If we want to go ahead and skip ahead to that or if, do we sure. Want? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, actually I don't want to, I don't want to lose my spot. Okay. <laughs> Keep cruising then. Um, we'll get to that here in a minute, but, um, communication is concerned with some individuals you know, some individuals require what's called a PEX system, which is basically a, a smart board that they, that the individual can use to pick out certain words and form sentences that way where it speaks for them. Okay. Okay. For that individual. Um, some individuals are good at sign language and can, and can communicate through sign better than they can verbalizing. Um, some individuals, it's more of a, some individuals that do have the capacity to speak, it's finding about what motivates them to speak. Yeah. 
And that's what we do a lot of times as well is figure out the motivating factor. And then once we find it, there's a whole lot that comes. Yeah. Out. Then, then steps can be taken. Yes. Usually like exponentially after that point, right? Pretty much. I mean, it's still one of the cool stories that I've been a part of as we had a, an older client back when we very, really first started and, uh, was nonverbal and the mother came to pick up the client and the client said, mom, first word he ever spoke. Wow. She, <laughs> she fall down in the floor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, I think we made that mother's whole lifetime. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite memories. Um, so it's, it's about finding for some individuals it's about finding what motive, what would be enough of a motivation to utter sounds and then to form them into words. And then to usually once that starts to happen, it takes off pretty quick with, with a lot of the, with a lot of the clients that we have. Um, there are, can be some continuous delays, but once we kind of break that ice, it kind of, it starts to come a little bit more often. Yeah. Just got to kind of get the door cracked first. Yes, exactly. Um, the other thing that, you know, as far as like prevalence is concerned, understand this, that there is no biological test for autism spectrum. There's not a blood test. Mm, yeah. There's not a DNA test that can tell you that you have autism. Okay. It is a battery of assessments that work on the developmental stages of the child or adult and where they're at versus where they should technically be as far as their typically developing peers. Okay. So on the prevalent side of things, yes, there are still adults that are being diagnosed with autism. Clearly. Yeah clearly due to the lack of information and acceptance in the medical world until probably the last 10 to 15 years. It, Texas Medicaid still does not recognize ABA as and, and autism as a complete need because they still have not agreed and set rates for ABA therapy for individuals with autism. It's 2021. Yeah, that's a shame. That's been the state legislatures have been kicking that around for the last six legislative sessions. That's 12 years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, insurance providers, since this is a medical disability or a, me a medical issue, uh, were, would not pay for ABA services until there was a state mandate that was put in place with the Affordable Care Act that required certain policies to cover ABA therapies. Because it's a pre-existing condition. You're born with autism. Hey, yeah. It's, it can't be more pre-existing than that. <laughs> it's not like you, you know, you go to the store and buy a six-pack of autism. Yeah. Texas this doesn't even necessarily have to do with autism specifically. Texas is so huge and diverse. Our legislature could really choose to lead the way in how to tackle a lot of really societal problems. And we just refuse to do so. Well, it's hugely disappointing. It, it's hugely disappointing because the four states that surround Texas all have Medicaid payers for autism services. Mm -hmm. The rates that Texas proposed were half of the lowest paying provider, uh, Medicaid provider of those four states. Basically ensuring that there would be no providers in Texas that could afford to provide services to anyone with Medicaid. It's yeah, similar to what's happened with Planned Parenthood in the last ten days. Yes. Yeah. 
cut their rates so much that no one can, no one is willing yeah, nobody, to provide the yeah, service. Nobody wants to uh, accept Medicaid, so sorry, you're on your own. Yes. Yeah. Luckily, there is a workaround with that because you are allowed to have Medicaid and one of the national insurance policies or Obamacare or Affordable Care Act policies at the same time. Oh, okay. So for families, it is a choice that they can take part in. We actually help several families uh, go through that process mm-hmm. and, and show them how to sign up for those uh national plans um give show them their options and then hand them off and say you know it's up to you to finish this and then, <laughs> yeah. you know click I've, the ones I've that showed you, want. you the way <laughs> you know this is the website you go to these are where you see the plans this is how it shows you how much you have to pay every month and shows you how much it's it's going to pay us every month or whatever mm-hmm. as far as percentages and so forth tells you what your deductible is and your out-of-pocket max all those good things so take this home go on your smartphone and enroll yeah. And so that's what we we do that with some of our families too that just don't have that educational piece of knowing where to go for that kind of stuff because the last administration did a really good job of hiding it. No, oh, really. Yeah. Um they try to take it away completely. And um so they they did a really good job of cutting some things off and making it a little bit more difficult to get signed up for those national policies. Hmm. What a shame. Yep. Okay, what else you got? All right, so let's go on to intervention. Okay. Okay. Listen, I understand that autism has a large amount of stigma to it, and, and that's one of the reasons why Autism Awareness Day and Autism Awareness Month were created in the first place. It, it's, it can be very devastating to parents when their child is diagnosed with a disorder such as autism, but you're not helping your child at all by waiting. Yeah. The minute you have any suspicion, talk to your pediatrician. Please. Well, I'm sure that would, like in my head, I can't, it may not work the same for everybody, but like if you suspected there was a problem and once you got it identified, like that would be a huge weight off my shoulders just to know A, what it was, and then B, now that we know what it is, now we know what steps to take next. Exactly. And we have seen children as young as 18 months get diagnosed. Really? So it's it, it can be blatantly obvious with, with some children, where with others it may be a little bit further down the line. But if you suspect anything, because you're around your child all the time, and when the doctor says, well, they should be here, but they're behind, where are they behind at? If they're behind in a social skill or eye contact verbalization, do you think we should be concerned about autism? If that doctor blows you off, find a new doctor. Because that still happens too. Oh, I'm sure. A lot of doctors do not want to be responsible for diagnosing a child with a disorder that could be a lifetime hardship yeah. for the child, depending on how severe autism is for that particular child. Uh, so you, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of hesitancy for physicians to diagnose autism because they don't want to be the one to put that label on a child yeah it's understandable completely understandable well it's heavy but also like but there's a responsibility uh, yeah there. like aren't you obligated to do that you would hope so <laughs> um and, and i understand i can understand being a doctor when you see a 12 month old child 
that is starting to display very, very early signs of autism and not wanting to sit there and say autism. Yeah. Maybe they're just behind and they'll catch up in another six well, months. Uh, uh, I'd sort of hesitate to tell this story, but uh, we'll say somebody I'm, I know went through a possible, like not a full-on diagnosis, but a mention of like this is a possibility. And this particular child's parents were ready to fight the doctor. <laughs> yeah, I get that too. Um, I mean, the, I guess there's that side of the of the equation also, but and and that that child at the time was uh, probably younger than three, um, but also turns out that she is not. So there are natural delays because every child is different, and so doctors that are very hesitant are, I would assume, I'm not a physician myself or a pediatrician, I would assume that they're hoping that they just grow out of whatever delay they're in. Yeah. And so 12 months of life, 18 months of life is for some doctors, not enough of a history to make that designation. Yeah. Perfectly understandable. It's perfectly understandable. The issue that we have though, is that if we do think that there's autism and, and, and autism can be diagnosed because it's on that scale, early intervention is the best possible thing you can do for your child. Oh yeah. By far. If you start your child at age two and they go through 12 years of ABA therapy, autism speak on their website states that they have an 80% chance of needing minimal to no adult services. Wow. That's a huge turnaround there from it is what things used to be for sure. Yes, because a lot of large majority of individuals ended up being institutionalized if they were not if they were moderate to severe. That's no longer the case. Yeah, how many I'm sure there's not a real number, but how many cases do you think that what percentage of of institutionalizations may have actually simply been autism oriented? Oh, I well over yeah. half to probably 60 to 70 percent i mean there's there's still individuals i guarantee you even though i don't know this for verbatim fact because impo- uh, client and and resident information is confidential at the state supported living center here in lubbock i imagine there's probably still a large portion of adults that probably still have a label of intellectually disabled when they actually have autism because they're in their 50s or 60s yeah and no one took the time to re-diagnose them. Yeah, like once once they got labeled something, nobody wanted to try to change the label. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, what you got? What else you got? Um, well, let's go back to Autism Speaks and talk about intervention. The best intervention that we have out there is based off of ABA, which is Applied Behavior Analysis. B.F. Skinner, if you are in education or any sort of psychology, you know who B.F. Skinner is. He's kind of like the godfather of Applied Behavior Analysis right? Five out of the nine therapies recommended by Autism Speaks are ABA based. Okay. Okay. So look for somebody that bases their stuff off of ABA. Okay. If you want to know what those nine are, go to Autism Speaks. They have it right there off of one of their main links. Okay. Off of one of their menu links uh, for, I think it's the therapies for autism is, is the drop down menu that you're looking for. Okay. Uh, two of the other ones out of those nine is one is occupational therapy. The other one is speech therapy. 
those are definitely not ABA, even though they can use some ABA principles. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of others in there that don't use ABA. They're slightly different. You know, as someone that, that works for us as a BCBA or RBT would basically look at those other forms of therapy and go, I recognize that. It may not be exactly what we do, but in the neighborhood, it's in the neighborhood. So we were talking about things to look for earlier. So this is on the intervention side. This is what you want to look for as a parent. Okay. Nonverbal or delayed speech. A child's going to cry, right? But then there gets to a point where a child just basically stops crying. I didn't know the child had, you know, and it's like, well, you know, we've heard, I've heard stories from parents before about, you know, we didn't know that the child was, you know, wet or, or soiled because they stopped, they don't cry anymore. Well, that's a nonverbal situation. Yeah. Okay. We can start babbling and then all of a sudden it stops. That's also a good indicator because that nonverbal, and, and that is something that happens with autism pretty often is that a skill will start to be developed and then all of a sudden it will stop or go backwards. Now you say babbling is that? Goo goo gaga. Well, to themselves or to in anything. A, a response to stimulus? All. Okay. All, all, all points considered. Okay. Okay. Lack of eye contact, as we talked about earlier, you know, even at Texas Tech, they were uh, a professor out there, a doctor out there was attempting to make a assessment that focused on that tracked eye movement and eye contact to mm-hmm. help diagnose autism earlier. She was working with uh, infants, I believe, that were 12 months old Wow! to get that assessment going at that point to see if she could find an eye contact tracking just with a like a Wi-Fi web-enabled camera that zeroed in on your eyes and with different stimuli were presented how did that child where react your, your focus lied mm-hmm. in response exactly um i'm not sure where that study is at this moment um i know it was a couple of years ago when we were asked if we had anyone that would be willing to participate in that study uh but we have not heard of the publish publishment of that paper yet okay um non-typical play with toys this seems to be a big one too um, so a kid has a bunch of cars, right? What would you do if you had cars as a child? Well, cars have wheels, so you got to push them to point X, Y, or Z. Cars race, but I suspect that you're talking more about gathering by colors, gathering by size. Yes. And then also, yeah, lining them up Yeah, in a specific order. You know, I'm going to, how does a two-year-old know that this is a Ford? Yeah. Or a Chevy or a GMC or whatever, you know, what have you. Um, So non-typical play. Um, Dinosaurs being the same way. These are the plant eaters. These are the meat eaters. Kids too. He's a genius. (laughs) He is. He's extremely smart. But he's also got a, you know, above a higher typical deviation and not playing with dinosaurs the way that a typical child may be playing with dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, with the rawr and the clashing of teeth and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there's non-typical play with toys. Um, obsessive sorting, which is you already alluded to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, parents would sit there and easily dismiss that as, oh, he's just the, the child's just got an OCD. <laughs> well, OCD is actually a common co-diagnosis with autism. Really? It is fairly common, and I believe it's over uh, 61%. Oh, wow. So not saying that everyone that has OCD also has autism. That is not the case. But if you have autism, you have a higher than normal chance of actually having the likelihood of having OCD Hmm. of some sort of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, You know, one of the things that, you know, 
when we're talking to individuals, a lot of times we talk about, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything, anybody with autism. Did you ever watch the Big Bang Theory? Yeah, Sheldon Cooper. Yeah. He has, he has a form of autism. How do you know that? He knocks three times on the door and says the person's name three times. He has obsessive compulsive tendencies. He's rigid in his interactions with his peers. Yeah, there's there are certain things that just let you know, boom, autism. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, another big one is self-injurious behavior. And and for parents that are having that are dealing with that, get help quick because uh, it, it can only progress. Um, get, get to someone that's an expert in that field uh, because that can be, one, it's, it's obviously not good for the child, but for you as a parent, you, your heart breaks every time it happens and you just don't know why. And it's not our it's not our job to really understand why. It's our job to at figure, that point, yeah, yeah. One, it's to extinguish that behavior as much as possible, and to give the child different stimuluses that can be used to divert themselves from injuring themselves. Just a new outlet for whatever a new outlet, whatever's exactly. going on. Exactly. Um, so that's a big one. Uh, according to Autism Speaks, over 80% of children with autism have some sort of sleep disorder. Excessive sleeping where they sleep 15, 16 hours a day or they don't sleep at all. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and that's a problem because individuals with autism are also known to elope or r- run away from safe circumstances more often than not. Yeah. So it's a safety issue, you know, wh- when you have a child that refuses to sleep and of course, you have to sleep at some point. Yeah. At some point, you know, children that it's a new set of safety precautions you have to take at home. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So sleep disorders are are very common with individuals with autism as well. So if you have an infant that is able to stay up thirty six, forty eight hours at a time, that's a oof. And we, you know, published papers, uh, individuals that we have spoken to. Yeah, we 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 know it to be true. Wow, you know it's w- really weird to hear about a forty uh, a twelve month old baby that can stay up for forty eight yeah, hours. Yeah, it makes me tired just to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, when it comes to intervention, if you're an adult, unfortunately in Texas, there's just not a lot of options for help. Um, Texas has set a hard cap for autism services uh, to be reimbursed after the age of twenty two. Mm-hmm. So if you're 23, it's nearly impossible to get state-supported services that deal specifically with autism spectrum. Um, you can forget about your private insurance policy paying for it because the state of Texas does not mandate that they do so after the age of 23. Yeah, And uh, the services that are available, there's a huge, huge waiting list for adults with needs and Texas basically has created a waiting list to get those services. Is it prevalent here in Lubbock County? Oh, definitely. The, the older demographic? Oh, yes. Everywhere. Wow. Everywhere. It's a problem in Texas. It's a problem in most of the 50 states. Just because for years, individuals with autism were warehoused in institutions. Is there anywhere doing it right? In the United States, there's people that are getting close to tr- getting close to it. New Mexico just passed a law that said you cannot discriminate and deny autism services due to a person's age. That's New Mexico. 
It's next door. It's next door. Just recently, I believe it was in 19, that they passed that piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to get better. It's a good step. It's a good step. But how many places are equipped to really work with adults? Because for so long, we've been geared towards working with children. It's going to take, even if that happened this legislative session with Texas, and they said that we could start providing services to adults after up to age 70, yeah. it would take us a hot minute to get all the materials that we need to be able to provide adequate services that are appropriate for an adult. Because yeah. we're, right now, based on what we can get reimbursed for, we're geared towards children up to age 22. And beyond that, it's going to take us a while to get prepared for that. Are there places, do you know, in Texas that, well, I guess you already said that there was a waiting list, but that, that offer just out-of-pocket services for the older part of the demographic? In some cases, yes, but you're going to find those close more closely to Houston. Okay. Um, I believe Dallas has one organization that does adult services if you pay out of pocket. The, you can get autism services as an adult if you know the exact channels to take through the Medicaid reimbursement system. Um, and part of that involves suing the state. <laughs> Unfortunately. Oh, man. It's unbelievable the steps you have to take just to I've only try heard to get some help. I've only heard of one case in Texas that was successful. Well, for an adult to receive autism services as an adult after they have taken the state to court. So, and even though kids can get there's more availability for resources for children, it's nowhere near enough. Yeah. It's nowhere near enough. We talked the other day about continually being underserved here and Everywhere. The county, the state. Everywhere. Um, Right now, out of those uh, 1,365 kids in Lubbock County that by by statistics should have autism Mm -hmm. or would have autism, we serve out of, and I say we, I mean all the ABA providers and autism therapy service providers in Lubbock County provide services to less than 1% of that population. Wow. It's, I believe it's point probably around 0.6.7%. So there's a a definite need. High need. And that's why, you know, even though we have some competitors in town, we're not worried because there's plenty of opportunity. There's, there's, there's individuals that need our help. Yeah. You know, if you want to come open up a new autism therapy center yourself, come on, we could, we could definitely use more, more hands on deck. Yeah. That'd be a good approach, too, is make it more of a collaborative effort than... It is, and we're very willing to collaborate. We collaborate often with the Burkhart Center. We've had several... We've done some research projects with Texas Tech University with the use of therapy dogs. Um, we've done other projects with Texas Tech University as well on, on for their research. Um, the therapy dogs is just the one that sticks in my head at the moment. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you start working with larger organizations that are investment driven research is not a high priority because there's no return on yeah, investment. There's, yeah. There's no, so no, no comeback in the end there. Yeah. So the lack of resources is for adults and children is, is start trying to catch up the best that we can. And it's, and it's happening slowly, but it just takes time. Yeah. And unfortunately for some of the individuals that do have ASD, um, that help will come too late. Yeah. 
you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak poorly of the school system. The school system is supposed to be providing some help with services, but would you go to a school to have heart surgery at all? No. <laughs> okay. This is a medical. It's not what they're geared for. Yeah. yeah. This is autism therapy is not a educational service. It is a medical service. Yeah. So expecting our school systems to take that under their umbrella is unethical and irresponsible in my opinion. They don't have the resources to really change a child's life the way that we can. That's probably a, like a running dissatisfaction with, with school systems anyway is we're asking them to do things that they're completely ill-equipped to do. So Having worked in school systems for over 12 years, I completely agree. Yeah. So having to hire, you know, 17 cops per campus that you, that there are underlying factors that lead to that that aren't being met. Well, school systems – because of their funding situation, we're, we are completely one-on-one as our most ethical ABA clinics are primarily one-on-one with their clients. Mm-hmm. A school system cannot do that for every child with autism. Yeah. It's financially impossible for them to do so. Okay. What you got next? You want to talk about getting help first or cost? Uh, let's talk about getting help because okay. then you'll need to know what it's going to cost. The cost is really more about the cost of the community versus the cost of the individual. Well. So does that change your opinion yes. at all? Yes, it does. Okay. Let's find out what our community community can do. 2015. Do you want to take a quick little guess what it cost the state of Texas to provide adult services for individuals with disabilities? Uh, like a raw number? Yeah. I, I don't even... I, couldn't come close. One hundred and eighty-six billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's B uh, with a that's I billion with a B. Can't count that high. No, it take me a while. Yeah, I mean, I can put it in my computer and <laughs> look at it and drool a little bit, but that's just the MBA in me. Um, no, it costs one hundred and eighty. It actually costs one hundred and eighty-six billion dollars in two thousand fifteen. On average, we run uh, one hundred and seventy-five to one hundred and ninety-six billion dollars per year pr- to provide services for individuals with disabilities at the adult level. You want to take a guess what it costs to provide services to a child? Um, on a yearly basis. Yep. Per child. As a grand total. Um. It'll be with a B as well. Okay. The, I will say then two Bs. Two billion? Yeah. Well, better, but it's between 61 and $66 billion. Oh, goodness. Yeah, no, I wasn't even close. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you swung at the pitch. Yeah, it was over my head. <laughs> and the, I'm the, standing the, in the, the other the, dugout. <laughs> but yeah. The old closed I, I attempted, swing. Yeah. Um, but you look at 175 versus. At the low end, uh, $61 billion. Well, that's over $100 billion in cost difference. Yeah. Okay? Part of that is, is there's a lot more adults than there are children. Okay. Okay? A lot of the Medicaid systems, including the one in Texas, considers an adult to be anyone over the age of 15. Oh, wow. Okay? So, when we're talking children here, we're talking basically from 0 to 14. Yeah, that's a pretty narrow... Pretty narrow gap. So, that helps yeah. explain some of the gap, okay. right? But let's talk about this where it makes more sense. Per child, ABA services cost about $60,000 per year, which equals, if you look at Lubbock County, okay, 
That's $81.9 million of services for every child that would have autism, which every child does not need services, mm-hmm. nor do they require services for autism because they're functioning well on their own without intervention. Yeah. Okay. Um, but if you said every child in Lubbock County, the 1,364, I believe it was, 65. Close. Close. Missed about one. Um, if they all received full-time services, that would be a bill for $81.9 million in Lubbock County. Okay. But again, not every child needs those types of services. Not every child requires any services. Okay. So that's actually a much, much lower number than what it is. Okay. The total cost for a child to get services. So one individual child, $720,000 intensive $60,000 a year, 12 years, $720,000. Right. Okay. Okay. The same person as an adult receiving services from the age of 15 to the static age, the average age of an adult male in this country is 79. Okay. That total cost for adult services at the current Medicaid rate, which is about $41,000 a year, $2,624,000. So if we go by 80% here, that 80% early intervention statistic that the that autism speaks has mm-hmm. and you can eliminate 80 percent of that cost you're saving two million dollars per person over a lifetime of taxpayer money yeah so you're you, well you, you did beat 80 percent of the two million dollar bill right yep yeah that's substantial it's substantial and when they're receiving adult, when an individual receives adult services, they're usually receiving those services through the state, most often, especially after the age of 22, when they turn 23. You can still, well, in fact, there may be some loopholes coming up with the Affordable Care Act up to 26, okay. being able to stay on parents' insurance at that point. There's some cases pending. Even if we take another six years out, that's still over a half, one and a half million dollars of savings over the lifetime of that individual of adult services. When I spoke to our local politician and provided these, these numbers and said, if we could remove 80% of 81.9 million just for Lubbock County, mm-hmm. right? That drops it down to about a $64, 000, $64 million savings for Lubbock County. He wasn't interested in that? Not at all. Wow. So intensive early intervention starting at age two, providing that 80% success rate for minimal to no adult services is key for, one, keeping your child out of state state services as much as possible, and it saves the taxpayers money. Yeah, long run, yeah. Long run, yes. Not only that, individuals that have that early intervention and are in that 80% success rate are often employed. So they're bonus. Yeah. Bonus. Instead of requiring complete assistance, they're You're contributing. contributing. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah, okay. that's a big difference. Big difference. Local politician was not interested in that information either. Hmm. Can you give a reason as to why? Medicaid's too big. That's such a random cop-out answer for that particular branch yes wing of politics 
It's too big. It won't work. Yep. No. As a community, as part of autism awareness, I want you to know what you're spending your taxpayer dollars on. Yeah. Okay. You're spending roughly $64 million more Lubbock County for adult services that you could have saved and put towards other things like roads, schools, parks, all of these other things you could have spent $64 million on, but we're doing that to pay for services for adults that could have been... That were preventable. That were preventable, completely preventable. It's a big number. It is, and that's annual. Yeah. That's not grand total. That's annual. Yeah. That adds up fast. Yes, sir. So that's what it's cost. That's what it's costing our community. If we want to talk about fiscal responsibility, what we're doing right now is not it. <laughs> we got to invest in. We got to invest in ourselves a little bit to get a better return later. Yeah. You know, just a little bit of business right there. It's not what they want to hear, though. They want. They want you no. to pull you, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and fix it yourself. Not all of us were born, born with a golden spoon in our <laughs> Not mouth. everybody wears boots with straps. Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about getting help then. Okay. Pediatrician is your first go-to. Yep. Your pediatrician is who you speak to about your child. Make sure you make those regular checkups. Make sure that when there's delays that we track those and don't forget about those because if those delays continue, it'll it's a good indicator. Yeah. Okay, so we want to see some catch up, and we don't want to see regression. Regression of any sort is is a good, good indicator. Um, If your child is diagnosed with autism, first and foremost, you're not alone. Okay? There are so many families that are going through the same struggles you are right now. Do not think that you're alone. Do not think that this is one group's problem. It affects everyone. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what kind of education you have. It doesn't matter what car you drive. Mm-hmm. This affects everyone. So there's somebody else that's going through the same thing and understands what you're going through as well. So don't think that you're by yourself, please. Okay. If you don't know of any place and you just can't wrap your head about trying to find any place, I've got some places you can go to here in a minute to get yeah. information and get some help. Okay. As a parent, the best thing you can do is to get working, okay? Yeah. And when I say that, work for your child, okay? Learn. Be, be an advocate. Be an advocate. When I say learn, when you're a parent, you need to get your grandparent, the grandparents involved, aunts, uncles, older siblings, anyone that's going to be around that child, they need to start learning, Yeah. okay? About the disorder, about autism spectrum, and about what is effective, don't take my word for it. Okay. You don't have to, there are groups out there that will give you reputable information and give you good providers. Autism speaks has a lot of good information. I just would be hesitant to rely on them to provide you with services. Yeah. Okay. Cause that's not really what their mantra is to do. Their mantra is to educate and to help refund research. Yeah. An organization here in Texas is called TexABA, T-X-A-B-A. They have a parent group. They have resources, and they can tell you who you can go to in your local area. So they're TexABA.org, I believe. Are there chapters? Uh, TexABA is actually a subdivision of, uh, I believe, APBA, the Association of Professional Behavior Analysts. 
Okay. Okay. So it is a chapter okay. upon itself. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, usually about 50 chapters, one per state. There's a couple of states that have divided. So there's like a Northern California, Southern California chapter and stuff like that for the larger states. But Texas only has one. Okay. Kind of showing you how far well, backwards Texas still yeah, is I kind of. Going to make that point. Yeah. Um, one of your best resources that you can go to is the Behavioral Health Centers of Excellence. Okay. Okay. Otherwise known as the BHCOE. This is the only organization that currently accredits clinics and therapy providers that provide ABA services. Okay. These guys make you go through hoops and they check and they check everything. They te- they ask your parent they ask parents what's it like there? What do you really think about this place? They ask your staff, what do you think about this place? They look at all your policies and procedures. They look at your finances. No secrets. No secrets. <laughs> they dig through everything you have with a fine-tooth comb. And if you pass, you can get an accreditation. Mm-hmm. So there's a score matrix apo- uh, placed upon that where you can get either a one-year, two-year, or three-year accreditation. Okay, I believe if you score between 81 and 89%, you get a one-year accreditation. If you score between 90 and 93%, you get a two-year, and 94% and above is a three-year accreditation. Okay. They have a list of who's accredited. That's pretty available for... It's available to anyone. You okay. don't have to log into anything. Okay. It's available. Just providers. It's yeah. right there on the menu. And this is uh, LH... What is it again? This is the BHCOE. BHCOE. Yep. Okay. BHCOE.org, I believe, is their website. Okay. The other one is CASP Providers, which is the uh, Council for Autism Service Providers. And Providers is kind of named twice because CASP was already named, so they threw in Providers twice to make sure that it was for Autism Service Providers. Gotcha. Um, This is an organization of multiple national Autism Service Providers, and it's not just ABA. We share stuff across community all the time. This is where when we network together, this is the biggest organization that we have. These guys are tremendous in, one, advocating for individuals with autism. In fact, the uh, executive director of CASP has a child with autism and has done amazing work on getting laws changed and rewritten to benefit individuals with autism. Her and her husband, both. Amazing people. Amazing people. They want to move to Texas? I wish they would. (laughs) (laughs) She's been here a lot, though. Good. And she has been here a lot. She's done quite a bit. Uh, Texas is just Texas. We're stubborn sometimes. Yeah. Um, But Lori's done very great things for for the entire population of individuals that have autism across all 50 states, not just her state of Florida. You know, she's done a tremendous amount everywhere in this country, getting a lot of recognition, getting a lot of things done to one, recognize autism and the services that are provided to help individuals with autism. Yeah. So, and you can find the list of members on that as well. And what's that one again? Casppproviders.org. Okay. C A S P providers. There you go. So, if you don't, if, if the place that you're looking for isn't a member of one of those, eh, you might want to, you know, unless that's your only option, you might want to think twice about using their services because they're not in the two major organizations for a autism service providers. Okay. When you're getting help, you need to really research that an organization that you're about to take your child to, because it's also not about your child. It's about you as the parent. So find therapies that will do the most for you and your child. 
Are there parent help groups? Is there support groups for siblings? Yeah. Okay. Are there other services for very specific needs like food, you know, eating? Yeah. Feeding therapy is a big deal. You know, children with autism, there's a significant portion of the population with individuals with autism that have difficulty with certain types of foods and feeding themselves. Yeah. So that's an issue as well. Desensitization programs for things that we do on a routine basis that some individuals cannot tolerate. What are they going to do for you as a parent? Are we going to, is that organization going to educate you on what they're doing and how you can implement that at home? Mm-hmm. That's big. That, that, yeah, the carryovers. The carryover is huge. As important as, as learning the, during the therapy session to if, start with, right? Exactly. If they can do it at the clinic, they can't do it at home. Something's going wrong. Yeah. Okay. And we understand that there are some, there are some circumstances where that's difficult to maintain and do, but we're going to try. Yeah. We're still trying. But if they're not going to educate you on your services and what you can be doing at home to help, that's not someplace you want to be a part of. Yeah. Okay. It's like they're holding a secret. This should not be a secret. No, no secrets. No secrets. Okay. Yeah. So if, is that all you got there? Oh, no, sir. Oh, continue then. Sorry. Okay. You want to look for therapists where the case managers or the individuals that are basically overseeing the case caseloads or the, the clients is around 10 to 15 clients per, per, per case manager. Mm-hmm. Okay. For our for ABA therapy centers, it's usually a board certified behavior analyst, and it should be a board certified behavior analyst. Okay, if you're looking at places that go over 15 clients, full time clients on their caseloads, they're running through, and they may not know your child as well as you want them to. Yeah, it's simple math. Okay, 15 full time clients at two hours of supervision per week is 30 hours. Well, there's another 10%. They have to write reports and, and update profiles and, and therapy sessions and, and objectives and things like that all the time as well. So where are they going to do that? They need some time to work on that stuff to, as well. Yeah. Okay. So if you get somebody that says, you know, ask that BCBA, how many kids are on your caseload? And if they say anything north of 20, I'd run. Not a healthy uh, It's not a healthy environment. Either. It's not a healthy ratio because you're thinking that if my child is full-time – getting over 30 hours of therapy per week. That means they get two hours of supervision directly from the BCBA. If they have more than 20 kids, who's going to get the short stick that week? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is always your kid. It is. <laughs> so be aware of that. Yeah. Make sure your BCBA is local. Okay. We talked about this last time I was here about telehealth. Teletherapy. Yeah. Okay. If your BCBA isn't around, they're not getting the full picture of what's going on with your kid. And I know that there's places that will sit there and defend telehealth to the day that they die. But it's not healthy for the kid. It's not healthy for you because you're not getting the full value and full maximum potential for your child from that BCBA. They are not there every day of the week. There's too many subtleties that are... There are too many subtleties that happen. Easy to overlook if you're not there in the room laying eyes on... What's going on at all times. Exactly. Something is going to get missed. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. If I'm a parent and I have a child with autism, if my BCBA is not local and is not someone that is there every day when I drop off my kid and pick my child up, that my child's not going there. Yeah. Because you're the one that's supposed to be working on the programs, working on the treatment plans, 
working on the sessions and you're not there. That's kind of a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay. You want the expert easily accessible and the BCBA is the expert. We talked about this earlier about getting a good insurance plan. Insurance is going to save you money in the long run, especially when you start going for ABA therapy and it's going to be comprehensive, which is full-time services. Mm-hmm. $60,000 a year could come out of your pocket if you're paying out of pocket. Oof. Okay. That's based on 2015 numbers. It's 2021. Yeah. Prices have gone up That's, a little bit. Yep. Those numbers are going to be different for sure. Okay. Um, for our services out of pocket right now, it's probably, probably going to cost around seventy-two dollars to $74,000 a year for our services at our company. But we're also one-on-one. All of our BCBAs are local. We're highly trained individuals, so we're, we're a little bit different. Plus, prices have just gone up. I mean, everything's gone up. Look at the past few years as far as prices for everything. So the materials that we provide for the children have gone up. We pay for those. Oh, and they're developing all the time. So yes, there, there's always a new aspect to it. Exactly. So there's a lot of overhead that goes into that as well. You know, as yeah. far as being able to provide a roof over space. our head, space, toys, reinforcers, materials. Yeah, and all it, those things wear out and need repaired or need yeah, replaced yeah. all the time. Yep. So if you get an insurance plan, yeah, it may cost you four or five hundred dollars per month. If it's five hundred dollars per month, that's $6,000 that's out of your pocket for your, just for your plan, probably another 3000 for your deductible. So that's at 9000 I'd much rather pay 9000 than sixty. Yeah. Makes sense. Make sure that your therapist, when I say therapist, I'm talking about your BCBA, but your therapist, it's a good idea to see that your therapist is also certified. Okay. So your registered behavior technicians or your behavior techs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Both of the organizations that certify BCBAs also certify behavior technicians. You want to make sure they're certified, that they have at least some sort of knowledge of what they're doing. What What is the role and duty of a behavior tech? A behavior tech is actually who does the actual therapy one-on-one, day-to-day. Okay. Okay. The BCBA is supervising the, RB, the behavior techs directly and watching how they're doing the programming and how they're doing the uh, therapy sessions and then changing and modified based on the, so the acquisition BC, of skills. The BA develops the program on an individual basis. The behavior techs actually apply the... They implement it, yes. Okay, gotcha. Yes. And the BCBA, this is the reason why you want your RBT or your behavior tech to know what's going on is because they provide direct feedback of how sessions are going that may have been missed by the BCBA on that individual level. Yeah, you say, I know you were sitting on my, over my left side, but with his, with his left hand, because he was facing you, he was stimming with his uh, thumb and pinky finger. Okay. But you couldn't see that because he was, I, was, I was blocking you because I was in your path. Yeah. Right? Or when you stepped out to go work with th- this other client, this is, what hap- this is what changed. Yeah. Right? So that's that little information of you know subtleties are that are happening with the with the behavior technician, and that's what we want to have with that. You know, it's like this wasn't as effective as it was yesterday. I don't, I, you know, what's different? What's different? Yeah. So your behavior technician needs to be certified as well. Um, there's only one insurance company in the nation that I am aware of that requires behavior technicians to be certified, and that's Tricare. We do it because it's good practice. Yeah. A lot of people do it because it's good practice. Better safe than sorry. Yep. There is a state certification for BCBAs as well. 
So they need to have both their, both their national certification oh, okay. and their state certification. Okay. Okay. And as we said before, uh, said prior, look at the BHCOE and see if that organization is accredited. Can, yeah, it's all stuff you can double check and make sure. Of. Yeah, if they're not accredited, they're not they're not proving that they are a effective. And <laughs> they're not reaching their full potential exactly. with your child. Exactly. They have, there is a reason why they're not getting themselves accredited. It's be, probably because they have something to hide. Okay. <laughs> Sad but true. Yeah. As a small business, we went through that accreditation process and it does cost a little bit of money, but that money is worth it because now you know where you're at. You know, the services that you're providing are worthy of their accreditation. Yeah. It is not an easy process. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Yeah. You, this is working with children. It should not be you don't, easy to You get. don't want the bar to, to be set low. No, no. We want it to be set extremely high. Yep. And uh, we've been lucky. We've been re- we've gotten an uh, initial two-year accreditation, and we got a recertification for two years, and we're up for reaccreditation at the end of this year as well. And we will do that as well. Excellent. Research your therapy provider well. And when I say that, there's a lot of places that have multiple sites across the state or across the nation. Look at their reviews as well. Something that you start to, you may not see initially in your location, maybe popping up already in other locations as issues that you may be concerned about. Yeah. So check the other reviews. Just because there's a particular provider in your local area, they're going to have to follow the same rules that everybody else does across the nation. So look at the rules that are causing problems in other locations. Yeah. Educate yourself. Educate. If you see something that gives you concern, there's a good reason why it gives you concern. Yeah. Follow your gut. But really the biggest thing I want to say as far as getting help is concerned is you got to understand that a child with autism is a single child with autism. No case is ever the same. Even though autism is a grand spectrum, Everything that makes you an individual makes a child with or an individual with uh, autism is the same way as an individual. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no carbon copy that says this is exactly the same. When you see it, someone with autism, especially a child that may be tantruming, do not chastise the parent about the behavior of their child. Yeah, they're well aware. Okay, <laughs> yeah. they don't need John Q. Public's help. Exactly. <laughs> This is a situation where you staying out of somebody else's business is your best bet. Unless that child is eloping and that parent is chasing that child. Yeah. Stop the child. Okay. But really, the best thing that you can do is to not pay any attention. Because if the parent's not paying attention, I guarantee you they've received some sort of parent education that has told them this is an attention-seeking maneuver. Mm-hmm. They want their way. You have to ignore it. It's called planned ignoring. It is a therapy. It is a therapy modality. So when you see a child doing that and a parent is not paying any attention, consider that. Let it ride. The other thing that we get a lot too is we get, my, you know, is my child going to be super smart in one area? Well, we kind of addressed this already. No more than anybody else in the general population. Yeah. Okay. Yes, there are some individuals that have very extraordinary skills in academics, but it does not outpace the general population. Okay. So just because your child is, you know, they say, Oh, my child has autism. Oh, is he super smart? I hope he is. That'd be great. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) but it's no more different than the general population. Yeah. Okay. 
a lot. And it's just like, it's just a general population as far as skills. I mean, individuals with autism have the same amount of skills in music or in art or in academics as the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, I guarantee you, you've seen somebody that actually has autism on TV. Oh, sure. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I remember that. Now that you say that, yeah, Dan Aykroyd has come out and talked specifically about being diagnosed with Asperger's as a child, which now has been now autism spectrum disorder mild. Mm-hmm. Okay, in his case would be mild. Um, and he also talks frequently about how his autism helped him to write Ghostbusters. Oh, really? Yeah. So very informative guy. And he recognizes that he has this disorder. He's very open about it. Yeah, he talks about a lot of stuff. He does. <laughs> he does. He's a very fascinating individual. Yeah. But he's someone that you wouldn't necessarily think has, especially, you know, look at Saturday Night Live and the things that he's done in his lifetime. Yeah, that guy does. He has autism. Yeah. And he admits that. He, he, and the individuals I'm speaking about right now are all medically diagnosed with autism. They are not suspected to have autism. So we will not be speaking about historical figures that are suspected to have autism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Temple Grandin, probably the most famous person in the world as far as an, someone with autism and is also very well respected. It's Dr. Temple Grandin, by the way, as in PhD. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's as a professor at Colorado State University. And basically the way that your animals are treated going into the slaughterhouse is all her design. Really? Exactly her design. And it has changed the way that beef... Poultry, uh, pork processors, and even lamb processors or mutton Mm -hmm. processors do their business across the board, across the nation. She is that well-educated and has done that much research to to where that's what she does. She works in animal services. That's awesome. So she's awesome. Another actor that you've seen, Daryl Hannah. Really? Yep. She She often speaks about her autism as well especially about her social anxieties that she has. Mm-hmm. And one of the, that's one of the main reasons why you really don't see her very much anymore is because her autism, yeah, as she has stated, has become overwhelming in that aspect. Yeah. The red carpets and so forth are too much for her to handle. Understandably. So, I mean, I know people that don't have autism that wouldn't like that. Yeah. So One of them sits in this chair. Right, <laughs> right across the street. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... You know, you got to understand that autism is not the same for everybody. You have some individuals that are very highly impacted by autism and some individuals that are very lightly affected by the symptoms of autism. And as there is no cure for autism, all we're trying to do when we provide therapy is trying to lessen the symptoms and provide coping mechanisms and adaptive behaviors to what the symptoms for that particular child are. So we're not trying to do anything else but help the child. Yep. Bottom line. Bottom line. All right. So if, if April is Autism Awareness Month, uh, what are some things we can get involved in, Josh? So the Burkhart Center typically hosts the annual Burkhart Walk for Autism Awareness every April. And this year, due to our situation in COVID, they're going to do a virtual walk on April 25th. And the day before the walk on the 24th, they're going to have an event in the parking lot in front of their building from 1 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon where families can drive by and pick up virtual walk kits that include ideas on how to participate with their families 
on the virtual walk, um, t-shirts, autism resources, activities for children with autism. So, um, yeah, that, that'll be great to have that walk. That's something we're going to definitely participate in. And no, that's what I was fixing to ask is what will we do what we always do. We're kind of known for our bubbles. So we'll be giving out bubbles again. <laughs> and we got some t-shirts getting made and stuff. And autism speaks. The theme this year is kindness, which I think is really good. And a lot of people I've seen are doing that kind of theme just because of everything that probably happened last year. And mm-hmm. I've seen lots of things that said, make kindness loud and good stuff. So I'm, I like the theme this year. Okay. So l- let's, let's put it in a bag here and see if we can like hand it off to somebody. So give us uh two, let's recap the, the websites. LH. Uh, I'm the worst with you want, whose website are you wanting? The, uh, Ones where you check accreditations. BHCOE.org. BHCOE.org. Okay. I well, don't know where you the, got the L's from. Yeah, I don't know why I keep wanting to throw an L in there. <laughs> uh, and then the uh, CASPs. What were the CASPs? CASPprovider.org. Okay. Now, tell us, uh, here's your chance to plug it up. So, Well, let's go ahead and give you some local resources. You have the SPAN network here in Lubbock, which is the South Plains Autism Network. Okay. Okay. Uh, Sherry Sensei out of Texas Tech runs that group. Uh, she's a phenomenal person. Uh, they have a website. I cannot, re- but it's not just span.org or whatever it is. I think it's something slightly different. Probably than that. Google it. And yeah, Google is your best bet on that one. It, South yeah. Plains Autism Network. Okay. That's the best way to go about them. That's a great parent resource. It's community based. Get after it. If you, if you know, if you feel alone, there's your one great resource Start right there. Digging. Uh, the other one is the pen project as in writing pen. Okay. Uh, that's another parent resource that's available. Um, they are more generalized for more inclusive uh, individuals with disabilities than just autism, but that's another resource that you can go to. And again, I don't know the website, but Pen Project West Texas is Google it. You'll find it. Google it. You'll find it. Uh, do you want to talk? Can we talk a little bit about if you're a lion, the Lions Club? Oh, yeah, Josh, Brief, briefly. Yeah. So we are going to be speaking at the Lions Club in April. Um, we have a tentative date and stuff like that set up. So hopefully the 22nd will be, um, oh, right before the walk then. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they meet every Thursday. So we'll be meeting that Thursday and, uh, yeah, we'll be talking to everybody who goes to that meeting. Okay. Excellent. And then for us, we're caprockbehavior.com and Josh is killing it with, uh, updating that website and providing new content that we've never had before. Uh, so we actually have a video that we'll be posting uh, soon. It, and the video we made, we'll be also um, talking at LISD Special Needs Parents Virtual Conference. So we'll be we'll be there with a video and kind of a virtual table and having a Q&A session. Excellent. So we're out there. Yep. Just got to dig around a little. Yeah. Yep. And if you can't find if you can't find us there, just look for me. I'm really tall. find the high find the high ground all right i appreciate you guys coming to do this uh hopefully this helps somebody um if you uh you can always uh reach out to me too and i can help you uh maybe steer you in the direction of some help uh at least put you in contact with jeremy and josh so thanks for checking in we'll catch you next week